I will tell you, uh, having worked and led a worked out and led a campus of LifePoint that was a recipient of one day offering funds, which was the LifePoint Brussels campus. Uh, when you give to one day, you are fueling the ministry of this church. It's not just you know Matt said something in the video we watched last week that was that again. As someone who was on the other side of this, it was exactly right. He said, when you give to one day, you're not just making a financial donation, you're fueling the church. Man, in Brussels, and I know the same, same is true in Bangkok, when we, would, when we would get our one day like money sent to us to fund our ministry, to help pay our pastors, to help pay for our building, all these things, it was, so, it was not lost on us how amazing it was that a group of people in, a, in, in small towns scattered throughout Middle Tennessee, many of whom have never crossed the Atlantic, have never been to Belgium. Maybe some of, some of them were, are like, were like me before I heard about LifePoint Brussels and I couldn't even found Belgium on a map or Bangkok on a map. And yet they are giving above and beyond their tithe to support the ministry of our church. There are, peop- there are people at our, like there are Belgians and there are Thai people at our campuses who are floored by that fact. That, 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 that people in America would be so moved by love and generosity to do that and support the churches there. And I'll tell you, what, what, what Thai said, what Ray said last week, what Matt said is absolutely true. People from all over the world come to faith in Jesus Christ through your giving. It, your giving mobilizes the church to lead people to Christ through one day. And so today is the first day that we've started collecting for that. We're going to start today and go through the, the, the rest of the year. I'll tell you, my family gives to one day. Uh, when RC and I get up and we ask you to give to things, we don't just ask you, we do it ourselves. We're going to lead out in that. So my family's giving to one day. We've given to every one day that we've ever had. And I've never regretted a single cent that I've given to the church to support the ministry. And I know for those of you who've, who've, who've given faithfully throughout the years, I know the same is true for you. And so I wanna echo completely what Thai said. Uh, I also want to, want to say, while we're talking about sending, uh, I'm gonna bring someone special out. Josie, go ahead and come out. Uh, this is Josie Baldwin. She, many of you know her, but we have so many new people here who've, who've come around in the last year, year and a half that maybe you've not met Josie. Josie is one of our sent ones from the creek. She's a member here at the creek, but uh, how many years ago was that that we sent you, that we commissioned you? Three years ago, we commissioned her, and she's been serving in Sao Paulo, Brazil, uh, with our ministry partner, Amo, there. And so, I mean, and she's gone all in. She's working in the favelas. She, her, her ministry's not glamorous over there. She's learned Portuguese. Uh, she's gotten engaged to someone over there, which congratulations to you. And so she's back in town visiting for the holidays. So uh, those of you who know Josie, I wanted you to be able to see her again. And that way you can say hi to her out in the lobby. Those of you who don't know Josie, uh, I want you to be introduced to her. And I also want you to go say hi to her out in the lobby. And so with that being said, I've asked Josie to read uh, our passage for us this morning. And so uh, like we do every week, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. When Josie is finished reading, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And then you will repeat, thanks be to God. Go ahead. Oh, it's okay. (laughs) And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. 
and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, for they had heard and seen, and it had been told them. Thanks, Josie. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Okay, yes, you may be seated. Um, You know, for my job and in my life, I've done a lot of traveling. When you're a minister, you, you, maybe like many of you, you do a lot of traveling. I've obviously gone back and forth from Europe several times and traveled around the country, been on a lot of planes. And whenever, there's, there's some shared experiences that pastors have, and this is one of them. Whenever we sit on a plane next to a stranger, we start making small talk, and then inevitably, the stranger's going to ask me, so what do you do for work? And then I get to watch all the joy and happiness in life drain out of their face when I tell them, oh, I'm actually a pastor. Yeah, you know that thing that you were afraid was going to happen when you sat next to a stranger on this plane? It's happening right now. And what kind of pastor would I be if I didn't share the gospel with you? Right? This is something that all pastors experience. But this, this sort of experience I'm describing isn't just true for pastors. We're not the only people on the hook for sharing the gospel with people. This is something that's true for all of us. Uh, you know, being a Christian is the most important thing about you. It's the most important thing about your life. But like we've said many times, we all struggle to share the gospel. Everyone, even me. Look, I'll be honest with you. There are times I'm on the plane, I'm next to the person, and I'm tempted to say, oh, I'm a teacher. That's technically true, right? I'm a Bible teacher. But I, I would get to avoid maybe a potentially awkward situation. But even I have to be reminded at, at that moment that no, I'm called to be a minister of the gospel. And that just doesn't just happen in the pulpit. This happens anywhere where I am. But we all, as God's people, are called to be ministers of the gospel in our lives and in the places that God has put us with the people God has surrounded us with. And listen, it's easy to get lost in a lot of Christian jargon and platitudes, especially at a church like ours, where we're very passionate about about sending, passionate about missions, passionate about going. You know, for example, um, some of the jargon we can kind of get lost in would be like, we're in a series called Go Tell It on the Mountain, right? Well, let's be honest, it's easy to go tell it on the mountain. There aren't any people on a mountain, right? And you're not actually on a mountain, Right? You, we can say, shout it from the rooftops all day long, but you're not actually on a roof. And if you were, you'd be the only one on the roof. Right? It's, it's much harder to say, hey, we're, we're not just going to go tell it on the mountain. We're going to go tell it with our coworkers. We're going to go tell it at our, at our family Christmas gathering. We're going to go tell it to our server at lunch. So as we've been looking at the Christmas story, our prayer throughout this whole series, the reason that we've called this series, Go Tell It on the Mountain, is that our prayer has been that we wouldn't just be people who sing with joy within these four walls. Sing with joy the, the, the songs that, 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 that we sing that, that magnify God for sending Christ, that we wouldn't just sing with joy in these four walls, but that we would take this good news, take this message of the Messiah out from here and let it overflow 
into the places that God has put us, in the homes that God has us in, in the offices, the, 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 the construction sites, the, the lines in the factory, the places where God has us, that that good news would overflow and spill out and begin to impact people who do not know Jesus. So this morning, we're gonna continue as our walk through the story of Christ's birth, and we're gonna do it by taking a closer look at the shepherds. So we're going to look at this passage that, 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 that Josie just read for us. And as we see, even as she just read it, we see a group of men and these shepherds who were confronted with the glory of God and then compelled to go out and make known all that they had seen and heard. You know, Josie is very dear to my family. She's like a sister to me. She's like an aunt to my children. And she is my wife's best friend in the whole world. They've been best friends for years and years. So a few months ago, Josie and I actually began to conspire together. We said, hey, what if we surprise Morgan? We tell Morgan you're coming back in like mid-December, but actually she's gonna come back early December. She came back last week. And we'll make Morgan think that you're not gonna be here for about two weeks after you actually get here, and then we'll surprise her. So we, we figured out all the logistics, all the details, figured out our cover story, all these things. And I'll tell you, for about two, three months, I had to sit on that secret. This is the time of year where where we all have to sit on secrets. Anyone who buys gifts for someone else. Let's say you have the perfect gift for someone, right? And you just have to sit on it. You can't tell them. Unless you're like my mother, who um, like, could never keep secret what she got for us for Christmas. She was just so excited, so she'd always just like, give us hints, and then we kind of know. Or like me as a five-year-old, where I'd always tell my dad, hey, we got you another putter this year, <laughs> right? Any dads in here, you just get, get a putter every year for Christmas? That was my dad. <laughs> And so Josie and I are sitting on this secret, and I'll tell you, the day before Josie came back, Morgan had no idea, and the day before was a pretty rough day for Morgan. She had a, just a rough day. She was very unhappy. There were just some things going on, and the whole day I was thinking, man, if you only knew, if you only knew that tomorrow this is going to turn around, <laughs> tomorrow you're going to get news that's going to make you so happy, which was totally what happened. It was like total turnaround. It was awesome. But it's so hard to sit on that secret, right? When you have good news, it's hard to keep it in. Well, can you imagine if that's what the shepherds did that we, that, that, that we just read about? If they get this message from the angels and they say, well, that was cool, neat. All right, how about the sheep, right? Let's go back. Look, I, I got some sheep work to do. No, no, no. They were people who saw the glory of God and immediately went and told all who would listen. And so my prayer for us in this series is that we would do the same thing. So I want us to see three things today. Really, I want us to answer three questions today about the shepherds. We're going to ask, who did God send? Why did they go? And how did they tell? Who did God send? Why did they go? How did they tell? These are the questions that we're going to, that, 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 that we're going to focus on, answer as we uh, dissect this passage. So let's begin looking at these three questions, shall we? First question. Who did God send? Who did God send? Look, at, look again with me at uh, chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. So the first people to hear about the coming of Christ were these shepherds. Of course, the first people outside of like his family and you know, extended family. So the first people to hear, the first strangers to Jesus were these shepherds. But why? Why these shepherds? Why not appear to the high priest or just a priest at all? Why not appear to the priest of the synagogue in Bethlehem? Why not appear to the king, King Herod? Why not appear to a ruler, some nobleman? Why the shepherds? Well, there's a couple reasons that people suggest. First, 
Some people say, well, he appeared to the shepherds first because God loves to identify as a shepherd. All throughout the Old Testament, God uses a shepherd metaphor to describe how he relates to the people of Israel. It's one of the, one of the many metaphors he uses. He's, he's the shepherd of them. Jesus Christ would say of himself 30 years after his birth that he was the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, who cares for his sheep. So maybe this is the reason. God has this affinity for shepherds. And he identifies as one. Well, I think that's certainly true, but I don't think that's the main reason why he chose to appear to the shepherds first. Other people suggest that perhaps he appeared to these shepherds specifically is because these shepherds in Bethlehem were probably tending the sheep that would be used for the Passover sacrifice. It's well attested that the sheep raised in Bethlehem, many of them were going to be used for the Passover sacrifice. Actually, uh, there's, there's some people who, who think, and I, and I actually think it's a pretty convincing argument, that Jesus could have even been born in a stable little cave grotto thing where many Passover lambs would have been born and that he was wrapped with the same swaddle that the Passover lambs would have been wrapped with so that he wouldn't have, you know, so that they don't fall and break their legs or whatever. I don't know why they wrap sheep up, but they did it. And, that, and that, 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 that was the reason why he was wrapped up with that swaddling cloth. It could be, I'm not sure. But we do know that many of the sh- these sheep were raised in Bethlehem. So these could be specific shepherds who are specifically tending Passover lambs. And by appearing to them, God is foreshadowing that Christ would go and be our true or better Passover lamb and be sacrificed for our sins. That could be the reason. Again, I think that could be true, but I don't think that's the main reason why God appeared to these shepherds. I think the main reason that God appeared to these shepherds was to show us and show them that he loves using common people to do great things. He loves using common people to make known the message of his son. Now, some people have the idea that um, shepherds were, were despised at this time, that they were like the, the you know, bottom of the barrel of society, that they were, they were just rough and immoral, unclean, just bad people. Well, there was a narrative about that, about shepherds in Jewish history, but Not really at this point. That was actually a little bit later in Jewish history. At this point, shepherds weren't despised. They weren't exactly beloved. They were just average people. They were just normal blue-collar guys. They were just as common as common can get is what a shepherd would have been seen as. And so my point is that God did not go to rulers or religious leaders or great philosophers to make known the message of his son. He went to normal guys. He went to average everyday people. And listen, if God can use these normal people, these average guys, then he can use you and me to tell other people about Jesus. You know, sometimes we don't, we don't go, we don't tell people about the Lord because we don't feel like we're qualified. Maybe we say, listen, I'm not smart enough. Jordan, R.C., you guys get paid to read the Bible all day and study the Bible. That's not what we do all day, by the way. But you guys get paid. To, you're the ones who are equipped to do this. Man, I don't have a seminary degree. I didn't go to Bible school. I don't, there are tons of things I read in Scripture. I don't even know what they mean. What if someone asked me a question I don't know the answer to? Sometimes we don't feel godly enough. 
Who am I to tell anyone about Jesus? I mean, if you knew the things that I did in my life, the thoughts that I think, the words that I say when no one's listening, if you knew what things I was struggling with, you would know that I'm not the guy you want to tell anyone about Jesus. Who am I? I'm not worthy of this. Maybe we don't feel charismatic enough. Man, there's a specific type of person who can evangelize. I'm not that type of person. I mean, the, 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 the people God wants to use are those people who can bump elbows with anyone, cut up, be chummy with people, be really charming. I'm not charming enough to do this, right? Why would anyone want to listen to me? But listen, God loves using common people because when he uses common people, he gets all the glory. When he uses common people, he gets all the glory. Think about some of the great men of our faith. You know, Billy Graham grew up as a dairy farmer. The great missionary William Carey grew up in a family of weavers. The famous author of Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, he came from a family of handymen. These aren't people who come from a great heritage of Bible scholars. The disciples were fishermen, tax collectors. Jesus' adopted father, Joseph, husband of Mary, was a village carpenter. Listen, God loves using common people because that way he gets all the glory. God's greatness shines the brightest when it is set against the backdrop of our weakness. Let me say that again. God's greatness shines the brightest when it's set against the backdrop of our weakness. That means that your weakness, my weakness, isn't a flaw in us. It's an asset to being able to be used by God. What did St. Paul say? He said, I boast in my weakness. I glory in my weakness because in my weakness, the power of Christ is made known. Our job as Christians is not to go out and tell people or make people think how great we are, how well-spoken we are, how smart we are, how we always have an answer for everything. Our job is to make known the greatness and glory of Jesus Christ who loves to work through weak vessels like us. Because listen, brothers and sisters, you might have all the answers in the Bible. That's great. You might know a lot about theology. You might be very charming. You might be the type of person that people love to listen to. But if God doesn't work through you, you won't lead anyone to Christ. It's not that the situation is weak Christians God works through and strong Christians God doesn't have to work through because they got it under control. Any person that God works through, it is, or that, that, that has any success in ministry, it is God working through them. So our weakness is not a flaw in us. It's an asset to being used by God. So if you feel like, man, I'm just a normal guy. I'm just a normal, common guy. I don't know. Listen, you're exactly who God wants to use. You're exactly who God has in mind to make known the message of his son. So who did God send? He sent common people. He sent average people. So that's who God sent. Now let's ask, why did they go? Why did they go? Look at verse nine. It says this, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. In the original language, in the original Greek, it reads like um, specifically here, they feared a great fear, meaning they were absolutely terrified. Now, think about it. Can you blame them? In just a moment, not yet, just a moment, I'm gonna put up a picture, two pictures of uh, biblically accurate angels. There was an artist who read Revelation chapter four, I think it's verses seven and eight, 
and there's a description of angels in this passage. And so an artist created a visual of what these angels would have looked like. Now, I'm not saying this is what the angels who appeared to the shepherds look like, but when the Bible describes angels, have you ever considered how freaky it describes them? Throw up that first picture. Look at that. It's kind of, kind of a little washed out there in the white. Go to the next picture. Imagine that thing appears to you and says, do not be afraid. <laughs> right? Here, go back to the first one too. Any kids in the room? I won't stay on the scary one too long. Right? When the Bible describes angels, they're not exactly like fluttery fairy people with wings. They're, they're kind of scary, right? Again, I'm not saying that that's what the angels looked like, but again, you can understand why the shepherds would have been filled with great fear, why they would have feared a great fear. So why? Why would God send an angel to terrify these shepherds? Why would God fill them with fear only to tell them a moment later, hey, listen, listen, don't be afraid. Do not, do not fear. It's all right. I have good news for you. Why even have that moment? God could have appeared to them, or God could have had the angels appear to them very quietly, very gently. He could have just tapped them on the back of the shoulder. Hey, listen, hey, don't be afraid. I look like one of you. Just, I have some news for you. I'm an angel. Why go through all this? I think he did it to remind the shepherds that they were to fear God more than anyone else. They were to fear God more than anyone else. He filled them with fear to remind them that I am God and you are to fear me and fear no one else. But the fear of the Lord that, that, that filled these people's heart, these shepherds' heart, the, the fear of the Lord is not meant to leave us terrified. Now, sometimes the fear of the Lord can terrify us when we're confronted with the greatness of God's power and we understand how weak we are in comparison, but it's not meant to leave us terrified. The fear of the Lord is meant to fill us with awe and reverence. I mean, think about it. If R.C. is in his office, at, at the church, my, uh, R.C. And, and I are, we office right next door to each other. Pat's office is right across the hallway from us, right? Like, right, I can look out my door in my office and I see Pat's office. If I text R.C., let's say I'm in my office working, I send R.C. a text message, hey man, um, I have a question for you. Can, you. can you come to my office? R.C.'s a, a, a nice guy. He'd get up and he'd walk over. But let's say as he got up from his desk, Pat texts him. Hey, R.C., I need to see you in my office. What do you think R.C.'s gonna do? You think he's gonna tell Pat, hey, Pat, senior pastor, hey, um, actually, wait, Jordan wants to talk to me real quick. No, he'd say, hey, Jordan, I need to put our, this question on hold. Pat needs to see me right now, right? And rightfully so, I would do the same thing, right? It's not that we are afraid or terrified of Pat. It's not that we think, oh, if I don't go see Pat right now, he's gonna come hurt me. It's that God has given him a position in his life that, that, that demands a certain respect and reverence from us. He's our pastor, which means that his voice carries greater weight than many other people's voices, and rightfully so, because God has given him a special measure of authority, and he's proven himself worthy of that authority, right? That's what the fear of God is like. It doesn't leave, not supposed to leave you terrified, but fill you with great awe and respect of who he is. It, it's, it's something that, that acknowledges the weight of who God is. That's really what glory means. In Hebrew, the word for glory is the word meaning weighty. Gravitas would be like another word in our language for that. It's filled with great weight. So this is a very important thing for God to do to these shepherds, to remind them of who he is, to fill them with some fear, to say, hey, listen, I want you to remember who I am and how much awe and reverence you should have of me. 
Because think about the world the shepherds were living in. They were living under Roman occupation. And in Rome, who's Lord? Tell me. Caesar. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Savior. As a matter of fact, when the angel said, unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord, there's a little bit of of a dig at Caesar in that because Savior and Lord were words that were used to describe Caesar. Caesar was the only one in the Roman Empire who could be the Lord who comes to proclaim peace, the Savior from all your enemies. To say that there was another Lord, another Savior who was going to bring peace on earth was to commit treason against Caesar. There would have been a cost associated And we'll see this worked out later on in church history, right? There was a cost associated with the people of God proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So I think this terrifying response from the shepherd, this terrifying scenario that God creates, filling them with great fear, was meant to remind them that Caesar is not sovereign. God is sovereign. Caesar is not Lord. Caesar is not the Savior. Caesar doesn't bring peace. God does. God gave them a glimpse of his glory to remind them that they were not to fear Caesar or any man for that matter. Well, let's be honest with our own lives. I know that many of us, and listen, me included, many of us, we don't share our faith because we're scared of repercussions. That can be a barrier for us. We're scared of repercussions. But let's be honest with ourselves. Many times we fear men and women more than we fear God. We fear men and women more than we fear the Lord, the one true and living God. We're afraid of what they may think or how they're going to respond. But listen, when we do that, that means that we're assigning sovereignty to people who are not worthy of it, who don't have it. We're assigning them sovereignty. Listen, they don't have control over the whole universe, no one in your life. They can't proclaim peace. They're not sovereign. They're not God. Listen, your HR department at your office is not God. Your employer can't buy you off with your paycheck to shut you up about your faith. He's not the provider. He's not the one who provides. He's not Jehovah Jireh. He's not the one who orders all things according to the power of his will and his wisdom. The people who might accuse you of being a bigot, being intolerant, they're not your judge. They will stand before the throne of God just like you will. And there is nothing before the Lord just like we are. God is our judge. God is our king. God is our God. And we must fear him more than we fear anyone else. The Lord Jesus says, why would you fear those who can destroy the body but not the soul? You should fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. God is the judge. And when God speaks, the Bible says in Daniel, no man can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? No man can stand before God to question him. So my friends, my brothers, my sisters, my fellow church members, when we make known the message of Christ, We need not fear any man. What can man do to me? If God is for me, who can be against me? Only God is sovereign. Amen? So the shepherds were reminded that they should only fear God. We also see in verse 9, 
It says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, I always imagined in this scene, I always imagined the shepherds were sort of laying on the ground, trying to get some sleep, and all of a sudden, like, bang, like the sky opens up, rolls back, and they're, and they're basically watching this whole thing happen. They're watching all this happen. But that's actually not what the text describes. The shepherds weren't watching all this. They were in the middle of it. The, sh- the angels weren't just all above them. The angels singing glory to God were surrounding them. They would have like looked around and seen all these angels surrounding them. Anybody like me? And you kind of thought that they were just watching this whole thing? They would have been surrounding them. Can you imagine how this experience of what they saw would have changed them? Seeing the glory of the Lord wrap around them and move among them, how this experience must have changed them and fueled their efforts to make known the gospel. Well, listen, it would be very easy for us to say, yeah, I mean, look at, look at these shepherds. No wonder they went and made known the gospel. Look at this experience they had. I mean, they got to hear angels singing. They got to see an angel of the Lord come and talk to them. They got to see the glory of the Lord Fill up their whole field where they were. Man, if I had an experience like that, I'd do the same thing. I'd be telling everybody about what I saw. It'd be easy to share the gospel if that's what I saw. But listen, if God thought that sending angelic choirs and and blasting the bright light of his glory to us was the best motivator for us, that would be the best thing for us, then listen, listen, That's what he would have given us. That's what he would have given us. That's what we would do every Sunday. We would come here and there'd be angels who'd come and appear to us and they'd sing glory to the Lord and we'd join with them and he'd fill the room with his glory. God would not withhold the greatest thing from his people. If that's the greatest thing God can do, why would God withhold that good gift from his people? Listen, we have something better than what the shepherds had. We have something better than what they experienced. Brothers and sisters, we have the word of God in our hands. They didn't have this. Translated into our language that we can read. We can hear God's voice every time we open this Bible. And if you really want to hear God's voice audibly, you can just read it out loud. We have the people of God surrounding us shoulder to shoulder every week, singing songs of praise, sitting under the teaching of the word, praying together, taking the Lord's Supper together, celebrating baptism together. You might not experience the bright light of the glory of the Lord shining around you, but you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, Christian. You don't just have the glory of God around you, you have the God of the universe within you because God the Holy Spirit indwells you. You have been united to Jesus Christ by faith. And in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of God's glory is pleased to dwell. And you're united to him. The shepherds didn't have these things, at least not yet, not at this point. Man, we're not just surrounded by God's glory. We're submerged in it. We're engulfed in it. We have something better than what they had. And the glory of the Lord is a powerful, powerful motivator for us. Ask yourself this question. How much glory does God deserve? How much glory does God deserve? How much worship is he worthy of? Now, I know what you're all thinking. At least every Christian in the room is thinking this. All the glory. 
He's worthy of all the worship. Listen, this is a motivator for us to go. Why? Because there are people in this world who Christ is worthy to be worshiped by and they are not worshiping him. I love how John Piper says this. John Piper says, missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. There are people in Thailand who should be worshiping Christ and they're not. And Christ deserves their worship. So we go and we send missionaries and we preach the gospel so that Christ can receive the glory that he is worthy of. Josie labors with Amo in Brazil because every single person in those favelas should be worshiping Christ. Christ is worthy of their worship. That's why we go. Christ deserves to be worshiped by every single person in your household, in your job, in your school, every person in our government. Christ deserves to be worshiped by them and he's not getting the worship he's worthy of. God's glory is a powerful motivator for us to go because we want, in the words of Habakkuk 2.14, knowledge of God's glory to fill the earth as waters cover the sea. That's what we want. We want him to be glorified and worshiped by all people. So to recap, God sent shepherds, he appeared to shepherds and he sent them to remind us that he loves using common people. He wants to use common people to accomplish his purposes. And second, the motivation for these common people was the fear of the Lord knowing who he is, great reverence for him, and a desire to make known his glory. That's who God sent and why they went. Finally, I want us to notice how the shepherds told, how the shepherds told this good news of great joy for all people. So with this, we try not to make our outlines of our sermons too complicated because I know some of you guys like to take notes and want you to be able to follow along, but I'm gonna do something today we don't normally do. I'm gonna give some sub points. Is that okay? So this is point three, and there are three sub points that we're gonna have. And so how did they tell? If you're writing notes, they're gonna, they told with urgency, they told with focus, and they told with joy. I'm gonna break those down. So first, in verse 16, we see that they, they went with urgency. Look at verse 16. And they went with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby laying in a manger. We can't expect to evangelize anyone by waiting for them to come to us. Not anymore. Doesn't work that way anymore. We must quickly go to them. This is becoming increasingly more important, especially as America follows the trajectory of all Western countries and becomes more and more post-Christian, moves further and further away from Christianity. You know, there was a time that a lot of people were at church on Sundays, and then, then it kind of became more common for a lot of people to be in church on Sundays on Easter and Christmas. <laughs> but more and more, that's not the case. More and more, Easter and Christmas aren't the big blowout everyone from town's coming that they used to be. You know what that means, brothers and sisters? It means that we can't rely on our preachers to do the job for us. Your preachers can't rely on our gospel ministry just being from behind this pulpit either. We can't wait for people to come to us. We have to go to them. Now, listen, I know there are people in this room and you don't know Christ. 
And I hope you hear the gospel today. I I want you to hear the gospel today. But by and large, our ministry is going to be a going ministry, not a invite, like have you come in, wait for you to come here. Once you darken the door to the church, then we give you the gospel. That's not how ministry is going to be moving forward. And listen, we have to go quickly. It's easy for us to put evangelism on the back burner of our lives. It's easy for us to minimize it as a priority. But listen, there are people in your homes. There are people at work with you. There are people who are your friends you've known for years and they are perishing in their sins. They are dead in their sins. They do not know Christ. When we sing joy to the world, when we sing hark the herald angels sing, we sing joyful, joyful, we adore thee. They can't sing that. There are people in our lives, my friends, in my life too. There are people who live near us. God has blessed them by moving them right next door to a Christian. And their sins have been paid for. And they have no idea. We can't wait for them to ask us, hey, I was thinking the other day about how I'm dead in my sins and how I need a savior. Would you mind telling me about what I can do? That's not gonna happen. If it happens, don't count on it. It's rare that that's gonna happen. We go and we tell, and we must go quickly. Listen, uh, you guys know that magic duo, Penn and Teller? I don't think they're super like relevant anymore, but uh, once upon a time, they were. Anybody know? Just nod your head if you know what I'm talking about. Penn Gillette is the tall guy, the big guy. He's an atheist, does not believe in Christ. Uh, Several years ago, maybe like... Man, I don't know how long, how long ago this was. Maybe 15 years ago, I saw this video of him. And he was talking about, if I remember correctly, he was talking about this man who kept trying to share the gospel with him after one of his shows, kept trying to give him a Bible. And you would think that he'd be annoyed at this, like, leave me alone. But he said, you know what? I don't respect Christians who don't do that. And this guy's an atheist. He said, I don't believe I'm going to hell, but this guy did. And he cared enough about me to tell me the message and invite me to understand the message that he thinks will spare me and get me into the presence of a God I don't even believe in. He said, how much would a person of faith have to hate other people to not tell them about this message of salvation? That guy's not a preacher, not even a Christian. And yet, how convicting are those words? How much would you have to hate me not to tell me that you think you have a message that could save me from eternal damnation? Now listen, my goal here is not to guilt anybody, to make you feel badly, to guilt you during Christmas time. What I wanna do is inspire us, inspire us to go with haste. And listen, going with haste isn't, isn't just inviting someone to church. Now that can be part of it. I want you to take those invite cards and I want you to invite some people in your neighborhood and invite some people. I want you to do that. But listen, that's not what living sent is. That might be your first step in having a gospel conversation with someone. That'd be a great thing. Hey, come to church with me. Do you go to church anywhere? Really? I mean, maybe you did as a kid. Talk to me about that. You can lead that into all sorts of conversations. But inviting someone to church or just saying, you know, Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays, that's not what living sent is. Living sin is going to make known the message of Jesus. Listen to this quote by Charles Spurgeon. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. 
And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. We have to go with haste, brothers and sisters. Next, what we see with the shepherds and what we must do is we must go with focus. Look at verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. When the shepherds got there, when they got to the stable, they didn't spend time documenting the events of their trip into Bethlehem to find them, nor did they spend time talking about all the implications on Judean politics that the birth of the, of the Messiah would you know, cause. They made known the message of Christ. They told, they told of what they saw and what they heard. Listen, and I wanna be very clear when I say this because you guys have known me for a while. I've been around here for a while. You've heard plenty of my sermons. You know that Jordan Rabin likes to talk about culture. I like to talk about cultural issues. I like to talk about the supremacy of Christ over culture. I like to talk about how he's the king of kings over our culture that we shouldn't fear. I like to talk about the ideology. I like to talk about all those things. But hear me when I say our job is not primarily, it is not first and foremost to go and convince lost people about evolution, same-sex marriage, climate change, or whatever else. That's not the primary thing God has called us to do. Our job is to tell people about Jesus first and foremost. Now, again, before anybody says, exactly, we, I can't stand Christians who talk about all these cultural issues. We should just be talking about Jesus. Let's not get bogged down with all these cultural issues. Not so fast, partner. I want to be very clear with what I say. If I work at a school, I want my fellow teachers, I want my administrators to know and love Jesus Christ. That's what I want. That's what you should want. You should want the people who work with you to love and know Jesus Christ. So what I need to do is I need to tell them who Jesus is, what he has done, and how they can know him. My motivation when I go is not to own the libs, or destroy them with facts and logic like I'm living in some real life Facebook post, like my life is some Ben Shapiro video. That's not what I'm called primarily to do. My motivation should be to woo them toward the gospel. People are not destroyed or owned into believing in Christ. That's not how that works. They're wooed. They're called. Their eyes are opened by the Lord and they see Christ as more beautiful than anything else. Our job is to woo them toward the gospel so that they may be saved. And this comes from talking about Jesus. And listen, if you convince a lost coworker about biblical marriage, great, good for you. And that's a good thing to do. You've helped this person come to grips with reality. They're no longer living in a delusion. That's good. But guess what? They'll still go to hell. Salvation does not come by having a right understanding of what marriage is. That's not how you're justified. You're justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. That's the message they need to hear, first and foremost. Now, will gospel conversations lead to cultural discussions? Absolutely, they will, and more and more. You might get that. Oh, you're a Christian? What do you think about LGBT stuff? The wrong answer in that scenario is to say, ah, let's not talk about that. Let's just talk about Jesus. That's the wrong answer. 
That makes you look like a coward. No, say it. No, yeah, I'll tell you what God's word says. But I'm going to navigate this conversation toward Christ. I'm going to navigate this conversation toward the gospel because the biggest problem this person have is not their ideology about sexual issues. The biggest problem they have is that they're lost and separated from Jesus Christ. That's what they need. So I'm going to use this cultural discussion you want, and I'm not going to plant there. I'm not just going to, you know, try to convince you of that. I'm going to move this conversation to Jesus Christ because I want him to work through the power of his word, the power of his messenger to bring salvation to you. That, that's what we're called to do. But we have to understand that warring for conservative causes alone does not equal sharing the gospel. We have to give them Jesus. We have to be focused on the message of the Messiah, finally. So they went with haste, they went with focus, finally they went with joy. Listen to verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. At the end of all they saw, all that was said to them, all that they said, they left worshiping God and praising him, going out with joy. There is no greater purpose in your life or in my life than making known the message of Jesus Christ. Sowing seeds of the gospel bring joy to us, brothers and sisters. And listen, if you feel like you're stagnant in your spiritual life, this has always happened to me. When I feel like I'm stagnant, find someone to share the gospel with and watch how this reinvigorates in you a love for Jesus Christ, a passion for him, adoration of him. Evangelism is a means by which God doesn't just save other people. He builds you up. You get a benefit from this. So even if the person says, not interested, don't care. You still receive blessing from living in obedience to what God has called you to do. It fills us with joy to do this. And listen, I've had, I have, a, I have a, a friends in my life, one friend in particular. I met him when we were freshmen in, in high school. Now I was freshman, I was 14, I was a dummy, and he was a dummy too. I was just a dummy who had the Holy Spirit, <laughs> and he was lost. And man, over the span of months, I would just tell him about Jesus, I'd bring my Bible to class. We had study hall together, so I'd read my Bible. We'd talk about it. And then over time, the Lord began to work in his life until he finally gave his life to Jesus Christ. Man, it was incredible. And we stayed friends for years. Like, we still talk. Like, it's, it's amazing to see someone that God saved by you sharing the gospel with him. And that's not just something that your pastors experience. Anyone in this room, brothers and sisters, could experience it. Because no one here is outside of God's reach to use. Listen, God spoke through a donkey, right? Remember that story? I can, I, there's a play on words I can make here, but I won't. I'm gonna play it safe. But maybe you know what I could say. If he could speak through a donkey, he could speak through someone like me. Someone like us. People like us. This is something that brings joy to us. Listen, it's Christmas time, and we're told that, man, we have joy in this season through family dinners, through Christmas parties, through gifts, through all these things. But even though these things are fun, all these things are great, I'm going to go have a family dinner today after church. It's going to be great. See a lot of family that I haven't seen in a while. But those things end. People go home. Party's over. And then we all have to come to grips with the new year. <laughs> But what we have is a message that doesn't leave us wanting at the end of the day. And Jesus says it's better to give than to receive. And there's no greater gift that we can give 
than to give the message of hope, the message of joy that comes from following Jesus Christ. So what I want to do is I want to end our time with some prayer. And I want to pray that God would give us the initiative, the courage to do everything that we've said. This is by far the most evangelistic message we've had in our series, and for good reason. We, this is a time of year when people are already sensitive to hearing spiritual things, to talking about Jesus. There are nativity scenes everywhere. People are singing about, you know, Christ the Savior is born. They're watching Charlie Brown Christmas, although I think it's the last year it's on TV, right? I think it is. The last year it's on TV? That's what I heard. I don't know. I, I, Facebook said it. They're going to hear that kid with the blanket come out and tell the Christmas story, right? What's his name? That's right. <laughs> Look at me. I'm a chump. I have one more chance to watch it, I guess it looks like. They're going to hear these things. This is a great opportunity for you to bring this message to people when they're already primed to hear it more than they normally are. And so with that being said, why don't we bow our heads where we are and I want you to ask the Lord, give me conviction. Convict my heart about who I know who needs to hear this message, what I can do. Guide me and then give me the courage to obey you. After we have a time of individual prayer, we're going to stand and we're going to recite a prayer together. So where you are, take a moment, pray, and I'll come back and we'll pray together. When we come to church, um, one of the great things that we get to do is we get to do things together, congregationally. We can pray by ourselves at home. I think it's good to have some individual prayer time here. One of the things that makes this gathering special that you can't do at home, we can pray with everybody else. And so what I want to do is I want us to pray a prayer together. So I'm going to ask you to stand up, and there are words that are going to appear on the screen. This comes from the Book of Common Prayer. I often use the, the Book of Common Prayer in my own devotion life. And so I've prayed this prayer many times. And so I, I, I'd love for you to pray this with me. And so in a spirit of prayer, let's pray these words together. O oh God, you have made of one blood all the peoples of the earth and sent your blessed Son to preach peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. Grant that people everywhere may seek after you and find you. Bring the nations into your fold. Pour out your spirit upon all flesh and hasten the coming of your kingdom through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's worship together.